Do you ever pray and you think that God is not hearing your prayer? That God is not listening? That maybe you're not sure if you're praying the right way or for the right thing. Or it seems like that maybe you prayed and prayed and prayed about something and the answer has not come. In Psalms chapter 66, it says in verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, The Lord will not hear me. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Now, we've got a big problem with iniquity. Iniquity is what was the uh, beginning of the fall. When sin came into the world. And we've had this continual struggle. And Elder Aquino reminded us in his prayer. That we've had this continual struggle with iniquity. And we had this old natural man that we deal with throughout our life. And sin and iniquity raise their ugly head. And they influence our life. But what he's saying right here, I believe, and I'll, I'll kind of use an old analogy that, that I can relate to. He says, if I regard, if I harbor, if I hold sin in my heart. It's not to say that we're perfect or we've reached a state of perfection. But if we harbor sin in our Heart, we can't expect to go to the Lord in prayer and for the Lord to hear our prayer. Now, here's an old fashioned analogy that I can relate to. My grandmother was a great cook. She was. She never took a cooking class, but she had about 10 brothers and sisters, and that's where she learned how to cook. She was a great cook. And she always had something on the stove. You could almost always, no matter what time of the day, you could go in the house and there was something that was cooking on the stove. And something that she was not cooking, but just wanting to keep warm, she would oftentimes put it on the back burner. And those old-fashioned stoves, I don't know if they still have it today, But the old-fashioned stoves had a little button on there that said simmer. 
And it could sit there for hours and hours at a time and just keep it a little bit warm. I think that's what he's talking about right here. When he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, it means I may put it away. I may put it on the back burner. But if I let it sit there and simmer. He said, the Lord's not going to hear my prayer. Let's look at some examples in God's word. And then for sinners that have problems with iniquity, that have problems with sin, we're going to look at hopefully some helps and solutions for us. Let's first look at the problem. In, uh, in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 15, uh, I'll just not going to go to each one of these verses, but Proverbs chapter 15 says the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the righteous. Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, uh, verse nine. It says he that turneth away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer shall be. Abomination. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself, says he shall fall himself into his own pit. But the upright shall have good things in possession. And then down to verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not Prosper, But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Do you ever think that your prayers are not being heard? Or do you ever think that you feel like you're not prospering spiritually the way you would like to prosper? It would be worthy to go before the Lord and just simply say, if you don't already know, just simply say, Lord, is there any area in my life that I need to repent from? That I may have a close fellowship and relationship with you. Sin is what separated us from God in the garden. And sin is what separates our fellowship with God here in this life. I am thankful to know and thankful to share that our sin cannot ultimately separate us from heaven and immortal glory because of what Jesus Christ has done. But sin can certainly hinder our fellowship and walk with the Lord here. It can. That's what he's saying right here. In Psalms chapter 19, it talks another way about sin. 
in Psalms chapter 19, verse 7. It's a real good uh, portion of Scripture right here. We'll read 7 down through 14. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. I like that. That's some really good truth right there. That the law of the Lord, it doesn't say it's hopeful. It doesn't say it's likely. It says that it is perfect, converting the soul. So the Lord himself, in all of his ways, in all of his doings, he's perfect. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, they than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from my secret faults. Our secret faults. That's in the hidden recesses of the heart. You may say, well, it's a personality flaw that I have. I grew up in an Irish family and it it just comes natural for me. Well, that's one of the things we deal with or that he's talking about. It may be a particular struggle in a relationship. It may be a particular temptation that you struggle with in your life. Share this with you. John Taylor was a great blessing for all of us that knew him. And he never missed one service in New York over eight and a half years. He was there every single time. And then he died. Just like that. And when his two brothers came from Texas, we, and they went through his apartment And they saw all the medicine that he was taking and they saw the doctor's reports and all the 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 findings that they they found as they went through the apartment. They said he was a very sick man. And it was apparent by what they saw. When they saw all that he was all the medicine he was taking, all the doctor visits that he was going to and. And John Taylor had moved to New York to be an actor and did act in in different shows and different plays. And then I said to his brother, Elder Tom Taylor, I said, we were so perplexed because he was there one week and then he died the next. And I said, it was such a shock to us. And he said, but Brother Stephen... He was a really good actor. He was acting healthy when he was there. Did you know that we as sinners, that that's what we are? We're really good actors. 
But did you know that God knows the heart? We may be acting to our friends, our family, our parents, our children, but we're not acting to God. God knows the heart. Do you know bitterness is something that we can tuck away on the back burner? And usually it's something we can sort of manage. I don't know a whole lot about the struggles that folks have with, with uh, various addictions. But in my discussions with some, the definition has been given to me. Well, Brother Stephen, I'm a managing addict. Do you know that we feel like if we don't deal with sin in our life, that we're managing sinners? It's okay to have a little bit of bitterness. It's okay to have a little bit of anger. It's, it's certainly okay, and nobody else sees this, if I have a little bit of pride. You know, it's amazing that we may think sometimes we're really good actors. And sometimes it's written all across our forehead. Brother John Karpinski and I were talking about the Judgment Day, and I don't understand a lot about the Judgment Day. If you do, I welcome you to share your thoughts, but uh, I'm looking forward to having a really good advocate at the Judgment Day to plead my case. But he said, I sure hope that it's not like the Lord putting all of our sins up on a screen and showing them to everybody else of our whole life. We may think that we're harboring it but we're not harboring it with God we're not so here's what he says he says who can understand his error cleanse thou me from secret faults and then he says something right here verse 13 he says keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins what does that mean it's interesting right there that he uses this word Presumptuous. What does that mean when he says, keep me from, not just from sin, but keep me from presumptuous sins? What does that mean? That means a sin that we meditate in our mind, that we realize that we're sinning and we go through with it. It's one thing to, and I'm not justifying this at all, but it's one thing to have a, an ill thought when somebody cuts you off on 695. And it's another thing to meditate a sin and let it brew and then go through with it. And that's what he's talking about right here. He said, Lord, keep me from the presumptuous sins. Look what he says. Let them not have dominion over me then I shall be upright and I shall be innocent from great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So 
He says, keep me from presumptuous sins. What's a, an example of a presumptuous sin? David loved the Lord and the Lord loved him. But David was a sinner. And we have accounts of the sins of David. And when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he desired to have her. And he had all power. He had all resources. And anything he wanted, he got. And so he began to premeditate this. And then he began to devise uh, when he found out that after he had taken her and she became uh, pregnant with child, he began to try to uh, cover up his sin. And he sent her husband uh, to battle. And ultimately, uh, the the husband, uh, Uriah, was put in front of the battle and he staged a, a murder, actually. And he thought that he had covered up all this sin that he was that he was premeditating and that he was creating right here. And then Nathan, the prophet, is sent of the Lord. You see, he he thought that he had covered it up, but he hadn't covered it up with the Lord. And Nathan, the prophet, comes to him and he gives him a story and he uh, confirms to him. And he says, David, you're the man. You're the one that has taken this one ewe lamb and slain this one. And all of a sudden, when David was confronted with his sin, when David was convicted by his sin, he goes to the Lord in Psalm 51. He says, Lord. I confess my sin. I acknowledge my sin. I hate to disappoint you. But dealing with sin is not a one time issue in our life. It's a work in progress. David says right here, he says, Lord, Would you have mercy upon me? Mercy is keeping us from getting what we deserve. David said, Lord, would you have mercy upon upon me? According to your loving kindness, would you blot out my transgressions? According to your tender mercies, would you blot out my transgressions? Lord, would you wash me thoroughly from my iniquity? Would you cleanse me from my sin? And then verse 3, there is a solution for sin. I'm so thankful that there is. If there's something that we've got brewing or simmering on the back burner, there's a solution for it. And it's the same solution that David experienced right here. He says, 
For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Now, let me just mention something right here. David is acknowledging and confessing his sin before the Lord. And he says, Lord, I've sinned before you. And he said, I'm acknowledging my sin before you. And he says, my sin is ever before me. And he says, against thee and thee only have I sinned. But I want you to know that not only uh, did David sin before God, but David's sin had an impact on those that were around him. And don't ever think for a moment, don't let Satan sell you the bill of goods to think for one minute that your sin will only have an impact upon you. Children, your, your sin has an impact upon your siblings. Your sin has an impact upon your parents, on your friends, on your church family. Parents, yours has an impact upon the children. Let's go through this quickly. It's really, really good. And, and David said against thee and thee only have I sinned. I've done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. And then David says, I, I started out as a sinner. He said, I was shapen in iniquity. And he says, in sin did my mother conceive me. That does not mean that uh, it was not in a marriage state. What it means right here is that David's father and David's mother were sinners. And as a result, David was a sinner as well. That David had a sinful nature because he was, he was born by parents that had sinful natures as well. And, and that is the lot of every single one of us right here. We were shapen in iniquity, he says, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born sinners, you might say right here. And then it doesn't take long before we begin to practice the sin that we're born in. It doesn't take long. You, you look at these precious little babies and, and you just can't imagine that they would ever create a sin. But you begin to talk to their parents when they turn about two years of age and, and, and they can confess that there's somewhere there an Adam nature. It begins to manifest itself. As Brother Bradley says, you just, you just give them uh, a little bit uh, of direction with the word no. And oftentimes uh, it will begin to manifest itself. Well, David says right here, he says that I was, I was born a sinner. He says, Lord, you know my inward parts. You know all about me. He says, I realize that I need to be made whole. I realize that I need to be cleansed. And he says, Lord, would you purge me with hyssop, uh, hyssop and I will be clean. Would you wash me and make me whiter than snow? All of a sudden, David was sensing the weight and the burden of his sin. And he desired to be delivered from it. So there's a solution for sin. Jesus paid, Jesus paid the price on Calvary's cross for our sins. But there's also deliverance for us here in this life. If you don't feel like, if you don't feel like you have the relationship and the walk with the Lord that you would like to have and that you feel like that God uh, has for you with him, if your walk is hindered before him, then go before the Lord and ask him, Lord, are there sins in my, my life? Are there sins that I might not even know about in my life? 
would you show me my sins? And then would you deliver me? Look what he says. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear the joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. I I love the rest of this right here. It's so rich and so good. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. He said, Lord, would you restore unto me the joys that I've experienced in the past? I feel to be far from you at this point and I desire to be Closer. I'm going to read a couple more Old Testament examples. In, uh, in the book of Joel, chapter 2, it says that we're to blow the trumpet and sound the alarm. Brother Steve has a business, and if you write a checkout to him, it's S.R. Aquino Electric and Alarm Company. Brother Steve spends a good bit of time creating and establishing alarms, and alarms are for the purpose of providing a warning. And that's what, what we're to do as parents. That's what we're to do as pastors. That's what we're to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. It says right here, Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm. I don't, I don't really like alarms. I, I don't like alarm clocks. I, I'd, rather, I'd rather just try to get up earlier and not have to worry about an alarm clock. I, you know, they come up with these new uh, tunes that are supposed to be pleasant and all this kind of stuff. They're just not a pleasant sounding alarm when you're in a deep sleep that, that I have heard yet. An alarm, though, is not supposed to be pleasant. An alarm is there for the purpose of bringing about, uh, 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 to, to bring notice to, to bring attention to. And here he says, he says, blow the trumpet in Joel chapter two, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble for the for the uh, the Lord cometh and uh, is nigh at hand. He, he goes on down and he's, he's, he's warning the folks right here. And, and, and truly, not only in the churches, but in the land in which we live, where sin is so rampant, where there's not really a definition of what's right and what's wrong, an alarm truly needs to be sounded in the day in which we live. When the value of life is so small and, and that it is so easily taken away, There needs to truly be an alarm that sounded. He goes on down to say, he says, who knows? He says, who knows 
Verse 12, he says, therefore, also now saith the Lord, turn ye even unto me with your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. And he says, and rend your hearts and not your garments. And he says, for he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness. And it repenteth him of the evil. And he says in verse 14, he says, who knoweth if he will repent, if he will return and repent and leave a blessing behind him. Did you know that that's our hope in this land in which we live? Is that the God of mercy might have mercy upon us. God's people are called to turn and to repent. Now, in Hosea, just a couple of chapters before this. It says that in chapter 4. It says that the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. I'll tell you what, I just don't like controversy. I'm not good at controversy. I I had two sisters and my parents would tell you that we were good at controversy back then. but, But I just don't like controversy. I don't like it with you. I don't like it with family. But I'll tell you what, I really don't want controversy with the Lord. And he says right here, he says, the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. In chapter four, he says, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. And then he, boy, this describes some of these inner cities right here. He says, by swearing and lying and killing and stealing and committing adultery, they break out and blood toucheth blood. He comes down in verse six and he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. They've rejected knowledge. They'll also reject thee. He says, my people have gone away from me. I saw a sign one time that says, if you don't feel close to the Lord, guess who moved? It's when we move away from the Lord. Thankfully, time and time again, he'll bring us back. But I'll tell you, there's a sentence right here. He says, for Israel, God's people, slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Anybody know what backsliding is? You ever backslidden? That's what he's talking about. He said, I've delivered, I've provided, I've restored, and they backslide. Look what he says. Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Now the Lord will feed him as a lamb in a large place. And then he says, Ephraim, God's people, God had, God was to the point here. It, it, it appears this is what... I interpret this to be. It says Ephraim is joined to his idols. What's our idol? An idol is something that we put between ourselves and God. It could be a whole host of things. You probably know if you have idols in your life. But he says right here, he says, Ephraim is joined to his idols. And this is what God says. And he says, 
let him alone. That's a pretty bad sentence. It is. I remember one time as a teenage son that I had pushed my mother too far. She had disciplined, she had corrected, and she had finally had it. And she said, I'm just going to leave you to yourself. That's a terrible sentence for children. And it's a terrible sentence for God's children. I didn't want her to leave me to myself. And neither do God's children. So, if we're going to be joined to our idols... And we're not going to repent of it. God may leave us with our idols. Or. Hebrews chapter 12. God might have mercy upon us. And we don't see it as mercy at the time. But God might have mercy upon us. Like our natural fathers do. And he might bring his hand of correction upon us. Parents give children warning. Pastors give warnings. But when there's not a turning that takes place. Then we don't have that umbrella sometimes of pastors and parents and moms and dads, then all of a sudden we can expect the hand of God to come upon us. And oftentimes when it does, it's not a pleasant experience. Let's go over to Hebrews chapter 12 and look what he says right here. He says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord. Anybody ever been chastened by the Lord? I'm so glad none of you have. I have been. I have been. I remember when Brother Bradley was preaching on this about 30 years ago in a, in a congregation with 300 people. And I knew that I needed to have a closer walk with the Lord. And I thought at any point, and he had no idea the struggles that I was dealing with in my life. But I, I felt like at any point that he was going to call out my name as he was preaching on this right here. And I knew that that message was meant for me, whether it was meant for anybody else in that congregation. Look what he says right here. My son, despise not thou the chastening hand of the Lord. Now I have to tell you, my natural flesh, I despised the chastening of my father. I did. Now my father and I, there's a lot of areas that we not on the same page. But I'll tell you what, he didn't like on discipline. He was, that was just right at the top of his list. And I didn't like it. But looking back, I'm glad that he did. I'm glad that he did. My dad had the philosophy. He didn't, he didn't support the folks at school. I mean, he, he supported the folks at school. Uh, unlike the many folks today, that if, if you get in trouble at school, my sister's a school teacher. She said that the parents will come and chew her out if she corrects the children at all. My dad had the philosophy. He said, son, if you get a, a spanking at school, and I'm so old that they used to give 
paddlings at school. And I did get my fair share of paddling. And my dad said, son, if you get a spanking at school, you are going to get one to match it when you get home. Doesn't matter if you, you think you're guilty or not. You're guilty by association oftentimes. And he said, if you get a spanking at school, when you get home, you're going to get another one to match it. And, if he th- and when I got one, I'd do everything I could to keep dad from finding out about getting a spanking at school. But the problem was he was on the school board. And that, that was a big problem for me. He says, my son, despise not thou the chastening hand of the Lord. wonder why he says that. Because our natural response is to despise the chastening of God. He says, don't you despise the chastening or correcting hand of God when it's on your life? He says, don't you despise it and don't you faint when you're rebuked of God. What does that mean? It just means don't say, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to give up. I'm going to pitch in the towel. He says, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. Don't faint when thou art rebuked of him. He says, because I want to tell you something. He says, You're being chastened by God because God loves you. My dad used to say, son, the reason you don't, the reason you get spankings at home and you don't get it for everybody down the street is because we love you because you're our son. We love you more than the folks down the street. And that's why we're chastening you. I often thought I wish they didn't love me quite so much, but. But he says, the Lord loveth whom he chasteneth and scourgeth every son he receiveth. He says, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, then we are all partakers and ye are bastards and not sons. He said, furthermore, we've had our fathers in the flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not rather be in subjection uh, and to the father of spirits and live. Verse 10. But boy, this, this is, is so good right here. He says, for they, for, for a few days, chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit. He's saying right here, or this is the way I interpret this. Our fathers with the, the our, our natural fathers, our natural mothers, our parents that have the responsibility of raising us and bringing us up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. They're going to do the very best they can every single time, but they might miss the mark. You know what? You know, one of the, the spankings that I remember, it's one that I know I really didn't deserve. I didn't. But I was in the wrong place with the wrong people and and I got it. But I really did not deserve. I hadn't done anything wrong. But to support my dad, there were many times I did something wrong that I didn't get spankings. But he's saying right here, your dad might have missed the mark. Your dad may have chastened you a little too much or he may not have chastened you enough. He may not have done it just right. But what he says right here is your heavenly father does it just right all the time. Now, those of you that have a whole bunch of kids, I expect that you modify the correcting rod for each one of them just a little bit. There's some that are like me that were a little bit stronger willed. And there are others that, I mean, they would probably break and give just at the thought of getting a paddling. And he says right here that the Lord knows exactly How to chasten his children, every one of us. Look what he says. Have you ever experienced the chastening hand of God and you knew why God was chastening you? 
He says right here. He says now no chastening. He says that we would be partakers. He says for verily for a few days after their own pleasure. But he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Did you know what? Chastening wasn't designed to be pleasant. It wasn't. But it's designed for a, a particular purpose. No chastening for the present, present seemeth to be joyous, but it's grievous. Never the yet, never, nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those that are exercised thereby. He says, here's the result of the chastening of the Lord upon our life. That it brings about, and you can see this in the lives of children. You can, you can witness this in the lives of children. But you can also see it in the lives of God's children. That God chastens us. He knows exactly how long the chastisement needs to be. He knows exactly how, how strong the, and, and, and how weighty the chastisement needs to be. But he says the purpose of it. Is that it brings forth, it yieldeth the peaceable fruits of righteousness unto those that are exercised thereby. So he starts out and he says, don't despise the chasing hand of God and don't faint when you're rebuked of him. When God corrects us, we need to say, Lord, what would you have me to learn in this situation? And Lord, I'm not going to do it again. Well, we're out of time and there's, there's still more, but what are some things that help us if we, how can you tell somebody that's a sinner to get rid of all the iniquity in their heart? I mean, I wish I didn't have to deal with sin. And someday I'm not going to have to deal with sin. In Matthew, we're taught, here's just a few things that will help you. Here's a few things that will help you. We're taught by Jesus Christ in Matthew that we're to seek first. Elder Sonny Powell said, there can be a whole lot of seconds, but there's only one first. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. In, in uh, Psalms chapter 37, it says we're to commit our ways unto the Lord. What does that mean? How we spend our time. What we read. What we think on. I'll tell you something else. Young folks, listen up to this. What you listen to. My cousin that passed away, he loved the Lord. But when they told me some of the music that he had been listening to, and I Googled it because I didn't recognize the names, I thought it certainly wasn't edifying. It wasn't. Let me tell you something. This is a principle that's taught in God's Word. He says, be not deceived. 
Evil communications corrupt good manners. So one of the best things you can do as young folks and as parents is in Hebrews chapter 10 where he says that we forsake not the assembling of ourselves together. That when we have an opportunity to be together and worship together, you're not worshiping with perfect people, but you're worshiping with folks that are headed in the same direction, that have the same challenges and the same struggles that can relate to the struggles that, that, that we all have here in this life. He says, don't forsake the assembling of the saints. And then this one's for young folks. He says, how can a man in Psalm 119, how can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed to the commandments and the statutes of the Lord? If you feel like that your prayers are not heard, if you feel like that you don't have the close walk with the Lord that you'd like to have, ask the Lord to show you the recesses of your heart and then pray that he would bless you to have a close walk with him we struggle with sin as we live here in this life the songwriter says few seasons of peace I enjoy and they are succeeded with pain if there are a few moments of praise I employ I have Hours and days to complain. Sometimes God blesses us to be victorious. So I'm thankful for the wonderful message that ultimately we'll be in glory because we're ultimately completely victorious over sin and Satan. And Peter were taught to be on guard for the devil. Because it describes him as a roaring lion. You Google what a roaring lion looks like. Not a very pleasant sight. I wouldn't even care to go to the zoo and see him on the other side of the, the fence. I mean, really. Uh, best thing to do with the roaring lion, as best you can, is put some distance between yourself and the roaring lion. Don't go wandering around the den. Don't see how close you can get to sin and play with sin and it not affect you. Put some distance. My pastor used to say the best defense against trouble, one of the best defenses is distance. So be mindful of that roaring lion because his purpose is to seek whom he may devour. He's not your friend. May God bless you. you've been able to listen to this special podcast we invite you to come and worship with us on a sunday morning our services begin with hymn singing at 10 30 a.m mount carmel primitive baptist church is located at 1707 churchville road in bel-air maryland if you've enjoyed this message we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in itunes or in your favorite podcast application